right, y'all, it's official. I'm an ex-main. I am on the Twitters. I am in the spaces. Um, so for anyone who's not familiar with Twitter spaces or X spaces, basically it's audio group chats with anyone who wants to jump in. Uh, I mean, the host has control over like who actually gets to speak and stuff, but uh, I basically live on Twitter these days. Um, and so this is my first recording of a Twitter space. Uh, the guy who hosted it for me, um, and I, I say that because he has way more followers than me, so realistically, uh, he was doing me a favor for sure. Um, this guy named Metaprime, uh, he is working on some similar projects to me in terms of developing, um, developing ideology that kind of bridges the gap between science and religion to some extent, and is just much more palatable for a modern audience than some of the some of the ideas embedded in what's considered to be like traditional religion. Uh, but anyway, Metaprime, yeah, he hosts a space every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm often there chiming in. I would encourage any and all of you to come check that out. Follow me, follow him, um, join in on those spaces. Uh, and if you have anything you'd like to uh, comment on there is an open mic at the end um, but yeah we've started doing some other spaces as well digging into some of the specific correlations between my work and his so this is one of those um, you can expect more from us in the future um, but he does many collaborations with some other awesome people so um, you can look forward to to more from this whole community as well um, yeah, so in the description, I'll put the link to the original Twitter space recording. You can go there if you want to see specifically who's talking when. Um, it has some other benefits of listening to that one. But here I will also include a copy of the audio, uh, cleaned up just a little bit, uh, not too much. It's, it's too much work to go through the whole thing and, and clean it up. But uh, it's pretty good quality, and so I think it's very much worth the listen. So. Anyway, enjoy and expect more of this sort of thing in the future. All right. How's it going, I am? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, not bad, not bad. I, uh, I just finished the draft. Uh, I just finished the naturalism article that I was writing up to the point where I started talking about strategies. So... It's, it's, it's both like a win. Like I was hoping to get a little bit more done, but I think that the value in writing stuff like that is that my ideas are, are pretty well developed and established at this point. So um, I feel like I'm ready to have a conversation and, and I'll, I'll, I'll post the, the article in its kind of unfinished form if people are interested, but I hope to get that kind of wrapped up and finished by, by tomorrow. Awesome. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to looking at that and, you know, diving into that here as well. Yeah, so excited to, to chat with you um, for, for those who are kind of listening and, uh, you know, to kind of provide some context as we go forward. I am and I had been, I think you were in the space where I was talking about naturalism and you had suggested uh, idealism or looking into idealism as, um, you know, another ideology or philosophy that has a lot of like similarities potentially overlaps and 
Um, I hadn't been too exposed to that uh, myself, but wanted to kind of do a space kind of talking about uh, talking about these different ideologies and seeing if, you know, there, there is value to uh, like creating a new one or seeing things from different perspectives and just kind of hashing it out. So uh, yeah, excited to chat with you about this. I mean, did you want to start off by um, kind of defining, we, we need to kind of take turns defining what um, you can define a little bit of what idealism is, and then I'll talk a little bit about naturalism and then we can dive into uh, talking a little bit more about kind of the, the overlaps and, and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. Um, should we go ahead and dive in or wait for potentially a few more people to join? I can just do like kind of preliminary context first. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we'll, we'll get more people as we go. Um, and it, typically, though, I find that the value when you've recorded a space like this is that people can kind of go back and listen and they, they probably don't want to have too much kind of fluff at the beginning and want to just kind of dive right in. So I, I think it's fine if we just hit the, hit the ground running and um, yeah, we can kind of answer questions later on if we have to. Perfect. All right. Um, yeah. So just kind of in response to what you said there, um, I, I'm sort of like in the market right now for, an ideology to develop on top of idealism, which for me is like a metaphysical framework. Um, so it's a bit more of like a meta level interpretation of things like idealism itself doesn't, isn't very opinionated about like what you as a person living your life should be doing. Right. And so that's sort of where I think the opportunity for um, kind of a tag team between idealism and naturalism can happen. Um, so I'll just go ahead and start defining idealism here because it's, it's going to take a while to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Sounds good. laughs> so basically the, the main contrast from idealism would be materialism, right? These are essentially opposing views but then there's also any other number forms of dualism and i guess maybe some there are even forms of like triism or whatever i don't know but so materialism is kind of the standard in the mainstream narrative at least in america um it's basically this assumption that there is this physical reality and that we as conscious beings are in that and our consciousness basically is an emergent property of that physical reality. So like electrons going through neurons basically has this emergent property that generates consciousness. Now, the issue with that is the hard problem of consciousness, um, which is basically like so you know, for take, for example, if we were to build an AI that looked and acted exactly like a human, but wasn't conscious in the same way that a human was, right, didn't actually have an experiencing conscious self. Um, there's this question of like, how can we ever know that it's conscious? Well, really, you can only know that you're conscious. And that's kind of just an intuitive knowledge. But anyway, the, the 
the main point I'm making here is just that there are two assumptions in materialism. So even though a lot of people think of it as being just one assumption, um, the hard problem of consciousness is a second assumption. And so then you have um, various forms of dualism. Um, basically, most traditional religions, as they're understood or practiced today, are forms of dualism where there's this material reality and then there's this like spiritual reality. And those are separate to some degree. So the core thesis of idealism is just to flip that and say the spiritual reality or rather the consciousness is the one fundamental thing. And then one of the interesting things you notice when you do that is you don't actually have to make any additional assumptions. So for anyone who's a fan of Occam's razor, um, in that sense, this should be like the most appealing metaphysical framework. Uh, there are other forms of monism, which is just monism is the general term to refer to metaphysical frameworks that only have one assumption. Um, but as from my opinion, like in my opinion, anyway, um, idealism is the most intuitive because understanding that fundamental substrate as a form of consciousness is just more intuitive than trying to understand it as anything else. Okay, so the idea is that uh, the, the best way that we can understand reality is through our consciousness, you know, so we're saying like, we believe in, we, like, the thing that we can know is that we are conscious, and then we have these kind of experiences, and then we build everything upon that. Is, is that fundamentally what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Um, so then um, I'll go ahead and start getting into some of the more specifics of like the modern interpretation, but then I'll pass it over to you to talk about naturalism for a minute, for a bit, if you want. Um, so basically the modern interpretation, or I'm not sure how to say this. There's basically a modern renaissance in in idealism for a number of reasons. Uh, a lot of the materialism-based sciences are pointing towards it uh, um, in some really interesting ways. Um, so, like, if I were to take Bernardo Castrop's interpretation, and it's more broadly called analytic idealism, um, kind of the core thesis is that there's this consciousness, this one consciousness that, was, that we're assuming as the substrate, you could call it the God consciousness, you could call it the mind of nature, um, you could call it mind at large, which is Castrop's specific wording. And the, the reason that makes sense is because um, basically core to his work is this idea that we as individual conscious beings are basically forms of dissociated mind within that broader God mind. Um, so to be like a bit more specific about what I mean by consciousness, or, or sorry, what I mean by idealism is basically like reality exists in the mind of God and that we are each a part of that God mind as a dissociated human mind. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And it is kind of what I believe, right? It's like um, Mudra... Is, is kind of known for saying we are uh, we are similar in God to quality, but different in quantity, right? So we're all kind of like children of God. We have the spark of divinity inside of us. We are 
creators in that capacity, but we have a, we have a limited uh, quantity that, that we are. Um, like a few kind of notes as, you, as you're talking here. Um, I think one of my goals with naturalism is not to, to get too heavy in the spiritual, because what I want to be able to express this as is when, you know, I'm having conversations with someone and they're saying, oh, you're a Democrat or you Republican or, you know, you conservative or liberal. I want to be able to say I'm a naturalist. Right. And I think that one, one of the things that I'm commonly doing when I'm talking about ideas or creating when I'm writing articles about ideas is you always have this opportunity when you're formulating like a, a philosophy or an ideology or just any kind of like explanation to scope, you know, at a very broad range, a very narrow range, right? Like, the, and ideally what you want to do is you want to limit the idea such that it kind of addresses the core uses that you're looking for it to do and, and doesn't get too kind of bogged down in the peripheral details. And I think in the, in the case with naturalism, not looking to get like too bogged down in the like spiritual side of things um, and, and more kind of in the material side of things. And so that's, that's something to kind of keep in mind as we go forward, not saying that I disagree with this kind of interpretation. I think that this is definitely one of the ways that I would think about reality, but, you know, I just wanted to kind of illustrate it at least initially that it doesn't have as much bearing on nat naturalism because I'm not trying to address the spiritual uh, the other piece is that in naturalism, that like the, there's, I, I've established three kind of core tenets, and the first tenet is that there is an objective truth to reality, right? That we're that we're we live in a universe with immutable fundamental laws, and that seems very similar to this idea in idealism of like consciousness, right? That our conscious experience is what is real, um, because I think. You know, while we can't know for sure if the laws are indeed immutable and unchanging or um, but we, we have to operate that way. Right. And and operating that way has yielded good results so far. Right. So when we do an experiment, we try to dis discern, you know, if, if then, you know, if we do this thing, what's going to happen. Right. That experiment and the conclusions that we reached are based on the underlying assumption that. Whatever like kind of law we're trying to explore is go not going to change over time. Right? It's going to stay consistent. And so we, even in scientists who are like, Oh, I'm an atheist. It's it. You're still believing you still have faith in this thing that you cannot prove, which is the immutability of the, the laws of the universe. I mean, we feel fairly safe in that assumption, <laughs> you know, cause it works out and it seems to have worked out through all of human history. But I think it's, it's an interesting thing to establish. Um, just because especially nowadays we, we seem to find ourselves in an increasingly uh, in, in a reality that is increasingly at the whims of a kind of like subjective interpretations of truth. And so that's a big part of naturalism and probably the big appeal of idealism is to move us back to a more objective understanding of truth. Yeah. Okay. So um, to address the first bit there, um, my goal or like the way I'm coming at this is not at all to um, provide an alternative to naturalism. Um, and it's 
really not even to necessarily suggest like modifications of the language you've been using in naturalism. Um, it's more just to explore a bit deeper than like you or I probably normally would when we're, you know, talking about, well, if we were talking about naturalism, we're not going to dive right into idealism. But I think for, you know, us people in this community, in this space right now, it is worth diving a bit deeper to kind of get on the same page on a higher level um, to collaborate in constructing the, that more opinionated narrative. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why don't you wrap up talking about um, kind of the rest of the, the naturalism philosophy, and then I'll kind of talk comprehensively about uh, or the idealism philosophy, and then I'll talk about naturalism. We can go from there. Um, well, I actually have like kind of a lot to say, so I can't really just wrap it up. Um, <laughs> well, but if can you, you can, like as, as, so one of the, the good formats for any of these kinds of spaces is to talk in like very macro, broad, low fidelity detail about what you're going to talk around, talk about, right? It's like, it's like the, and so what I'm hoping to do is more kind of at the beginning, kind of define terms and general senses and stuff like that. And then we can get more in kind of, kind of the weeds. But I would assume that idealism has some kind of like pretty straightforward, like core tenets that can be like explained in a couple minutes. And so I, I think ideally, if we can get that out first, then we can start to dive in at, at greater length, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there is sort of this sense I have that like, I almost want to lay out an outline of the whole argument and then dive into specifics because it requires reference. But I think let's try to not do that first. But to get to something you've already brought up, um, which is basically this idea of objective truth, um, I would definitely take a bit of a different approach to that topic. And I would come from the angle of saying, okay, there's this God mind and we're all part of this God mind. And so in a very real sense, all perspectives are divinely valid. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm in it. It sounds like I'm contradicting something you just said, but really, I think what's happening is we're using the same language to talk about two very different things. So um, basically, um, you mentioned like not like one of the things you're doing with naturalism is basically to talk about this objective truth as a way to move past like having everybody live in their own subjective reality, right? Um, sure. So to say that all perspectives are divinely valid because we're all part of God, that that doesn't actually contradict that. Right. Because if you say all perspectives are valid, that that doesn't mean that you need to, you know, just be accepting everyone else as they are. No, if you want to change them, then that's part of your valid perspective. Right. Mm, so. It's not so much that I think that the spirit of what you're trying to express is wrong. Um, like we might get like, I'm not sure because I, I, I'm still not 100% clear on what you mean. But that being said, for me, being very clear with the language that you're using is really important. Right. And so if you're not, if you're using language that allows for ambiguity, 
I think that can be really dangerous. And so in this case, saying that all perspectives are valid, like what I would hope that you mean by that, or what I would agree with if this is what it meant, is the idea that we all have different perspectives on life, right? These might, might not be correct perspectives, right? Um, but they are like what we experience, right? And therefore, if I wish to, for example, if I wish to talk to an audience of people who believe, you know, um, certain things, I need to know what those things are and communicate with them in a way that like is exactly. aware of and considerate of those things. Exactly. But, but I think it is important to be very clear in establishing in my mind that there is this objective truth to the universe. I, I mean, obviously the, the difficulty is like, and Kant talks about this, right? It's like all truth is like truth is this like kind of perfect and infinite thing that we could never fully express. And so every time that we talk about something, even if we're talking about something that's true, we're, we're talking about a, you know, a simplification of it, right? We're talking about like an right. abstraction or like a lower resolution picture because we just, we need to scope it, right? We need to focus in on a few things. And so, right. yeah, yeah. So there's always difficulty in expressing truth, right? And then you also have the layer of perspective on top of that. And I think like th that's definitely fine. And, and I think like that, that's, that I, I resonate with that, but I think the, the main, one of the core reasons that I think naturalism as an ideology uh, is valuable, or what, at least what I was trying to do with it is push back against this idea of subjective truth, because I think that is so inherently dangerous. And I think it's, it's care in, in order to make sure that that line is drawn in the sand intellectually, it, we have to be like, I, I would encourage whatever ideologies we want to uh, kind of encouraged to be very clear about that idea specifically. Yeah, yeah, and and I understand that, and and that's why I I said like I I'm not presenting this as like in contradiction to the language you're using so much as just nuance behind it that again we probably wouldn't normally want to bring up with someone unless they're bringing it up and this unless they're pushing back then we can go into a more nuanced. Um, discussion. And I think it's really important to do so. I mean, specifically for, for my community, that's basically the norm is like everyone immediately wants to go there. Um, but so just like from the idealism perspective, in terms of the word objectivity specifically, um, it's a useful word. Um, but it like, there's a very sort of specific interpretation um, that resonates with the idealist perspective and that's basically so again we have this god mind everyone's a piece of that so there's divine validity in all perspectives god is like interested in all our perspectives for some reason that's why we exist i mean that's one way to look at it anyway but there is such a thing as consensus right and there's also like stories that evolve and there's a natural evolution to going from you know, whatever we're criticizing to whatever we're trying to do next. So it doesn't ultimately contradict that. And I agree, it is like a meta discussion that's more confusing than useful in a lot of conversations. Um, but for me, it's really important to have that 
metaphysical foundation to call upon when necessary. Mm-hmm. So how about this? Let me, uh, since I've already kind of started to talk a little bit about naturalism and that's, uh, I'll, I'll just kind of drive over kind of the, the general ideas here. And then also maybe too, that will kind of help you understand how I'm thinking about kind of structuring these kind of introductions to the ideas. So when it, as far as naturalism goes, the, the, the main reason that I wanted to kind of create a new kind of structure and scoping of for an ideology was because I think we've come up with a lot of really great ideas here in the Anon space, but they have a, a problem around branding, right? Is it, there's, there's this constant pushback uh, in, in like this natural rejection in the minds of liberals and even some moderates that if they hear an idea that, that seems kind of conservative or right wing or, you know, comes from a right wing space, they're very quick to reject it, right? Um, just out of this inherent bias that, you know, anything that's generated by that side is, you know, oh, it's, they're either dumb and ignorant or they're, you know, evil and racist. So, you know, we should just reject everything that they say out of hand. So that means that it's not the ideas, but much more about the branding. And so how do you rebrand these ideas in a way that is both accurate to what they are, right? It represents them honestly, um, but is also palatable and, and kind of interesting and engaging. And to me, naturalism makes the most sense. And I'll give a few reasons. Um, most notably is that I think a lot of the ideas that we have are grounded in the idea that there is this kind of objective, natural truth to reality. And that if we live in harmony and alignment with that truth uh, and, and like the goals of life, we're going to be a lot more successful in our lives, to be a lot more meaningful. And I can give, I'll get into kind of details on, on what that might look like. Um, and then the, the second thing is that naturalism or the idea of nature, the term nature, is broadly appealing both to people on the, on the left and the right side. Um, so, you know, the left is really into, you know, conservationism and, you know, they want to use like green energy and all this kind of stuff. Whereas on the right, we, we definitely see like a rise in trying to eat uh, more natural, right? Trying to use uh, farms that use re- regenerative practices, staying away from chemicals, right? Trying to you know, take care of your body, right? These things seemed kind of like hippy dippy, not uh, only a couple decades ago, but now they're, they're definitely like iconic elements of, of, of the conservative side of the spectrum. And so you, you have this commonality. And so it, it still has this very positive connotation, the idea of naturalism. So that to me seemed to be both something that represents the idea authentically um, and is broadly palatable uh, with not, and doesn't have a pre-existing context, right? If you say I'm a naturalist, people aren't going to be like, well, I know exactly what that means. They're going to be like, well, that's kind of interesting. What, what does that mean? Right. And then you get to establish a connotation and by doing so, right. By uh, them not knowing already, you can, you can paint a picture that's much more palatable to them. Right? They're much more open to hearing. Right. So if you're talking to someone who's kind of more on the left side of, of, um, the ideological or the political spectrum, you can talk about things like, well, you know, I believe in, you know, regenerative farming and healthy living and all of this kind of stuff that, that you know, to them, they would, they would probably be like, oh yeah, that sounds good. Um, you know, if you're talking to someone who's more on the right, you can say like, well, I believe in like, you know, more traditional values, right? Like believe that, 
you know, there's a lot of value in having kind of the complementary balance between a man and a woman when raising a family and having kids. And that we should aspire to have kids because that's a, a very natural way to kind of like flourish in life, right? There's a lot of different ways you can express this. The tenets of naturalism are, are, there's three, right? So the first is that we live in an objectively true reality, natural reality, um, and that these laws that guard, the, that undergird the, uh, the foundation of the universe are immutable, right? And so these are kind of like the rules of the game. The rules of the game are set. The second piece is that there is a clear uh, goal for life, right? Life is defined by that which continues on and, and perpetuates, right? So the things that can exist in the world and then can replicate themselves out into out into the future, right? And so it's not only that that thing continues to exist, um, but you know that like the the genetic code, right? The the um, all these different ways that thing can kind of manifest itself, it can, can continue to exist. And so one could argue, and then I guess the you know the easy way of also kind of illustrating this idea is that anything is dead is not continuing, right? It's died. Um, it's not continuing on. And so we can say that the goal of life is to flourish. And so if you're familiar with any kind of like game theory, that once you've established the rules of a game and then the goal of the game, then you do have uh, strategies that evolve out of that. And you can say that these strategies are better than other strategies. There's optimal strategies. So you've created a way of saying that there are objectively better ways to live life than, than some other strategies. Um, which is, in my mind, very important, right? Because we have, we live in a world where people are like, well, again, this is this idea of subjectivity. Ah, you know, it's totally okay for us to, uh, you know, fat is beautiful too, or, you know, the, all this, you know, beauty is in behind, eye as a beholder, or, you know, I don't have to eat well to live a good life or whatever it is, right? And, you know, this, is, this inherently rails against us. It's kind of insulting our intelligence. But one of the problems that I've noticed it's like it's hard to articulate why necessarily right we can kind of point to things being healthy or you know good or you know but but this gives us a really strong foundation to be like well look like there's a reality to the world you know life is about flourishing and being successful and if you are not working uh if you're not doing things that are in alignment with those goals right and then recognize those rules those that aren't in concordance with these naturally occurring optimal strategies, then we can say you're, you're not living life well, you're, you're poorly oriented to the goals of life, right? And obviously, this is, this is uh, you know, when, when people first run into this idea that, you know, we do have meaning for life, and there is a responsibility that is intimidating, right? There's, there's a desire to reject that, at least you have to kind of take ownership of your life. But, but I think that this is a, a reality that if you reject it's only going to be more painful as as you live your life because you're going to realize that disconnect um so so those are kind of the, the three tenets right and then from that what's cool is we can then uh figure out what kind of these natural patterns these natural strategies are and, and a core piece of this is that we're constantly looking to take these natural strategies and and to update them for the modern world, right? So we say, you know, you need to be healthy. Well, what does that mean? Whatever that means is very different now than it is in other times, right? Like the choices of food that I have are different. The choices of like workout activities that I have are different. And so we need to both conserve these naturalist ideals, but also we need to innovate. We need to adapt them to the modern world. And so in this way, 
we create an ideology that has room for both those who are kind of more on the conservative traditional value side of the spectrum, but also those who are on like the creative and innovative side, right? I think one of the, one of the, again, the, the, the problems with, you know, being branded as just generally conservative and right wing. Although I, I do think the reason that our space is such, right, is because, you know, the left has gone so far, the, the radical left has gone so far off the deep end with this kind of innovation and adaptation, it's become like a cancer, right? It's, it's gotten, it's gone too far into degeneracy. It's, it's kind of like imploding in upon itself. And so the only rational response is to, to move back to a more traditional state of being. But, but the danger in that is that if we just kind of try to revert back to like 1950s trad wife is how like all you know romance should go, that, that is trying to return to the natural ideal, but in its wrong adaptation, its wrong incarnation, because it's trying to, you know, to, to jam an old solution into a modern time. And so what we really need to do is we need to take that ideal and we need to adapt it for the modern world. And so I'm not saying I know, you know, what every natural ideal and adaptation looks like in the modern world, but, but if we follow that general strategy, we're going to have a vastly, we're going to get vastly closer to that correct answer than we would otherwise. Um, and so the, and the last thing that I'll say here is, um, so we're trying to, to kind of bring people in and we're trying to, to balance these forces out. Like a big part of this is we need a biodiversity of ideas, right? We need, uh, balancing forces between kind of left brain and right brain people. And so if we can create an ideology that sees value in both of those things and all, in all of those differences, right? Not in like a way that all of these things are equal, right? Cause they're not, I mean, you have to be kind of aware of that reality, but in a way that there's there's harmony in uh, in systems and structures that allow for these this biodiversity strategy to to play out and to and to be optimal, then I think that's a much healthier incarnation. So that's naturalism in a nutshell, right? It's, it's this idea that we're grounded in nature. We're trying to rebrand things and trying to be in alignment with that natural truth. And if we do so, you know, we're going to live a much better life. Yeah, I love that. And I broadly agree with everything you said, for sure. Um, so I do think that idealism can shed some light on certain aspects of it. And that's, and that's why I'm interested to talk to you about it. Um, Sounds good. So um, one thing in particular, getting into this kind of idea of objective truth a bit deeper I guess to translate that phrase, objective truth, into idealism, and again, this isn't a suggestion for you to change language within naturalism. I think your branding is really good, um, and I also just kind of think you're better than me at that sort of stuff. Um, but like to to kind of take a different phrase that essentially means the same thing from the idealist perspective, we can talk about inherent properties of consciousness. Right. So if reality exists in this mind of God, then then these objective truths are basically inherent properties of consciousness. There are these patterns that we see time and time again, and they seem to be essentially immutable um, or at least all the evidence that, you know, we've gathered from our conscious experience, you know, suggests that they are immutable. So we might as well treat them as such. <clears throat> so. One of the big ones for me, and um, I think it's 
super important for the modern era. And I think idealism does shed some, some insight on it is there seems to be there's, it seems that suffering or at least, you know, struggle more broadly is necessary for meaning realization. Um, And I think the reason that so many of the progressive narratives are broken is because they're essentially different versions of utopianism. They don't recognize that suffering is necessary or meaningful. And essentially, you know, the, the utopian idea is we should be able to eliminate all potential for suffering. Um, and I think that's sort of the corrupting seeds seed that leads to all, you know, the modern problems we're seeing uh, with that. So I think from the idealist perspective, we get a little bit of extra light shed on that question, because if we assume that reality exists in the mind of God, then we can also assume that suffering exists for a reason and is therefore necessary for something. And it seems empirically that it's a necessary part of realizing meaning in our lives. Yeah, I mean, so the other part of this whole thing is that I also am building out kind of a spiritual philosophy called, which I call meta-religion, right? And the whole idea of meta-religion is to kind of explain in a much more spiritual sense how i see you know how one should think about these things and you know it's funny because as you're talking about this right a lot of these ideas are resonating um you know similar to this idea that the the goal of life is to flourish well then you might ask why why is the goal of life to flourish right i mean it is just kind of inherent in what life does but but what you know if you have you know a god who created the universe like what 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 value is there in that and, and to exactly what you're saying, right, challenge is what allows you to grow, right? So if you want to flourish, you need to focus on the challenges of the world. You need to become stronger, right? And, and through those kind of engaging in those challenges and becoming stronger, what you typically do is you, you learn about the world around you, right, in order to solve those problems. But you also learn about yourself, right? You learn about your strengths, your weaknesses, how to overcome those things. And so in a way, you're learning about... God, the creator of the universe, and you're learning about yourself through this experience of life. And that makes a lot of sense because if you were, you know, if you were God and you wanted to, you know, cultivate healthy, conscious minds, right, you're not going to just like force feed them a bunch of information from a fire hose, right? And there's also, there's very little meaning to information that you've just kind of achieved or, or been given, right? We've all tried to, you know, give people what turns out to be wise advice and they don't listen to it and they go and make mistakes. Right. And then they might come, come back around and be like, yeah, I should have listened to you the first time or whatever. But we also know that we've done that uh, plenty of times when people have given us good advice and we've, we haven't heeded it. And it's really the experience of seeing it and experiencing for ourselves that we've come to, to realize those things. And so challenge is kind of a healthy way for us to, to do this, to, to learn about ourselves in the, in the world around us. But I would also say, there's two other pieces to this. One is that when we uh, have the agency to make a decision, right, that's free will. And that's, that's really important because if we didn't have free will, if we were just kind of going down this track and we had no agency in our decisions, then it's not fair for us to be kind of judged 
buyer decisions, right? And that, that I think is another piece of this is we are laying bare our soul in reality through the decisions that we make, right? The way that we conduct ourselves and the things that we act on. Um, and so that's kind of more of my like spiritual philosophy around meta-religion, but it sounds like there's some, some overlap with idealism. And so I, I thought I'd kind of at least bring that up and talk a little bit about it because I do see again, I, and I made this point at the beginning, my goal with naturalism is that when you're out in kind of polite society and you want to talk about kind of your, your political ideology, talking about naturalism becomes you know, a, a good way to do that. You could like easily create like a naturalist party or something like that. So it's less like philosophical, intellectual, you know, space and more kind of like trying to be practical, but kind of grounded, you know, you obviously need to have a philosophy that, that, that undergirds it. If we were going to talk about kind of something that's a little bit more comprehensive, what I'm, what I'm thinking in my mind is I develop meta-religion and naturalism, um, is that they're kind of the yin and the yang of the material and the spiritual they each have and rely on, you know, some of the, the other for, for congruence, but they're trying to explain kind of the symbiotic halves of existence, if that makes sense. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I not only agree that there's overlap between idealism and uh, as you phrase it, meta-religion, um, I, I think they're essentially getting at the same thing. It's just, uh, you know, slightly different language. But the reason that I find idealism and the modern renaissance and idealism so appealing right now is because um, there are basically specific things happening in the materialist sciences that are pointing to idealism as Ultimately, it's just the most intuitive way of framing this meta-religion or perennial philosophy. It's kind of like, it, it, it kind of condenses it down into the most digestible form that we currently have of, you know, obviously this is my interpretation. Um, but I, I think we're getting at the same thing on that front. Um, but there is some really interesting stuff going on in idealism specifically, just basically looking at things through this lens of consciousness first makes things like some of the hardest questions really intuitive in some, in some mind blowing ways. So, um, yeah. So do you want to just jump in and kind of talk a little bit to that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, let's see, what should we get into next? There's, there's a different topic I wanted to touch on for a bit, but um, let me go ahead and, and dive a bit deeper into kind of Castrop's work and McGilchrist's work, maybe a little bit, um, and try to try to shed a little bit more light on like what the recent uh, developments in idealism are and, and, and why they shed some light on this uh, perennial philosophy or meta-religion. So, so with Castrop... And he, I mean, he's basically considered to be sort of spearheading um, the modern Renaissance and idealism. And it's centered around this idea that I mentioned earlier, where there's this really powerfully intuitive metaphor to think of our minds as individual human conscious beings 
as forms of dissociated mind within this God mind. And so that sounds really vague and abstract, but if you look at a specific um, case study, you take somebody with multiple personality disorder and they, okay, so they dream, right? And they dream as multiple personalities. And then you you interview them the next day and you interview the different personalities and they recount the same dream from the different perspectives. So they have the different like personalities have a shared dream, but they have dissociated perspectives that are completely isolated from each other. When you're interviewing them, they know nothing about um, the things that are unique to the perspective of the other personalities. So if you take this as a metaphor for how we can all be essentially a form of dissociated mind within this God mind, it makes it makes some things really intuitive, and um, I mean, there's there's so many directions to go from here. But kind of just with broad strokes, I think it's like looking at how all this neuroscience, psychology, quantum mechanics, um, even like this computational physics that Wolfram is doing, and that's what my that's what my paper um, is on. All this stuff seems to be pointing at consciousness being fundamental as kind of the most intuitive way to think about things. And so, yeah, my head's yeah. being a little bit right now, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries, no worries. So, yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, I've read all of the the content around the idea. I mean, you know, the basic reality. The, the problem with a lot of this stuff is. We have a certain modern conception, mainstream conception of what has been scientifically proven, right? And then we have like actual studies that have been done, you know, typically by the government on things like astral projection, or as you're talking about, like multiple personality disorder and this kind of stuff. And that seems to pretty conclusively point to the fact that we have like an astral body and then we have a physical body. And for the most part, those are superimposed, which means that, you know, they occupy the same space spot and space but we do have this ability uh and can cultivate the ability to move our astral body right this is what astral projection is this is when you when you dream you're kind of existing in the kind of like higher dimensional dream state right as you're talking about multiple personalities like that is the idea that you can have like different astral consciousnesses like inhabiting the same the same body and stuff like that um usually brought on by trauma and, and other things um so you know, my kind of the, what I've read in like that, you know, based on what has been kind of experimented on is, is that very much is the case. Right. But I, I think that the, the point, the reason that I kind of bring that up is one, I, I kind of agree with this, this kind of um, focus and, and kind of emphasis that you're putting on the consciousness. But I would say that it's not the case that we are just a consciousness and that the material is some sort of fabrication or, or kind of delusion or anything like that. Like, I think that there is both the material and the spiritual, right? We have like the consciousness kind of provides, re- resides in the spiritual to, to a large degree, or at least you, know, you can't, you can, right. But it also, it's the bridge between, so to speak. Um, so, I, so yeah. So just agree with you there, I guess. Well, I, I was going to say, I actually push back. I'll push back on that um, because the, the kind of, what distinguishes idealism from other forms of dualism is 
basically the assumption that the physical reality is a subset of this consciousness. And so you might ask, well, you know, it, you know, it really seems like there's this physical reality. We experience it. Um, we have this sense of like physical things of existing in this objective reality. And that can be true while also like there not being any clear distinction between the physical uh, reality and consciousness. So if we go back to the dream case study, um, in this dream, these different personalities are experiencing a physical reality, right, in this dream space. And so that's a shared consensus that they have, right? But at the end of the day, that's really all it is. And it not only is it the shared consensus, it's not even the shared consensus. It's just the trivial aspect of the shared consensus, right? So if there's this God mind and we're all, you know, parts of it, then there's going to be a consensus reality um, through which we communicate. And idealism sort of flips it and says that the physical reality is just like the trivial layer of consensus. And actually, most of the things that matter, even when it comes to consensus, are very high level um, properties of consciousness. Like, do we agree about these you know, do you and I agree about this ideology? Do you and I agree that it's good to do this? Like recognizing these high level patterns um, and the material, you know, the physical reality definitely plays an important role there. It acts as that sort of base consensus. Um, but that's sort of all it is. And in, in some powerful ways, uh, it's, it's really intuitive to frame things that way. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so I, I hear what you're saying, right? You're basically saying like, look, if we're all, maybe if we think of ourselves as like brains and bats, right. And we all have this like network that we're all hooked up to. And we all kind of like collectively dreamed up like this, this mediary layer, right. This, this uh, material world that we can interact in, but the material world itself is a construct of our collective uh, like dreaming and belief, right? So if you're like, well, I believe that reality works in a certain way, then it starts to solidify into working that way, right? Um, well, there's so also the, the God mind outside of our mind, but yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't just, like, the important, like, the, the thing that kind of comes up in my mind in reaction to this is, I do believe I wouldn't shut out the idea that we could through like collective believing in a certain reality, like create that reality. Right. Um, I think in a lot of ways we do. And you start to recognize that more and more if you look at things through this perspective. And that's one of the mm. benefits of it is you, yeah. start to, you start to realize, you start to kind of like the, these limitations that you're kind of manifesting by falling into the materialist trap start to melt away and you start to recognize like, oh, like we can manifest not anything, but like there aren't really any hard limits. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear what you mean by no hard limits 
So, like, do you okay, think we so, could collectively be like, oh, uh, like we believe in, I don't know, like Thor, and then like if enough of us believe hard enough, like Thor shows up. Well, so that's kind of a materialist interpretation, right? Because you're talking about this. I mean, it sounds like you're talking about this physical body of Thor showing up. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if you and I and our community suddenly decide to worship Thor, that's a very real thing. Right. And and it's going to have way more impact than some physical form looking like Thor walking through the street alone. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so in react so in re- reaction to that and then you know if, if you're open to it uh tweet and western and kind of asked to to join in the conversation but the way that i see this in my mind currently and it, so there's there's two things that i want to say the first is i think there's a lot of different ways that you can interpret the same thing right it depends on like what dimension you cut it by so a very simple ex- explanation of this is if you're writing a cookbook right you might say uh, I'm going to sort all of my recipes by geographical location, right? Uh, country of origin, or maybe I'll sort all my recipes by ingredients, or maybe I'll sort all my recipes by like, uh, you know, t- which meal it's supposed to be or something like that. Right. So there's, it's, it's not that like the collection of all potential cooking dishes, like moves or changes, right? So that, that is constant. It's just the collection. It's, it's the dimension upon which you are, you are perceiving it. Right. And so similarly, when, when you're talking about this idea of like belief manifests and changes in reality, what what I what I think you're the way that you've kind of structured where it seems like idealism structures it is that you have the kind of the most fundamental layer, this kind of uh, this like mind, all, all of the different conscious minds. Right. And then the material kind of exists outside of that in this, this secondary space. And it's the conscious minds that then interact with the material the way that i kind of perceive it and, and, I, and so the the reason that i brought up the first part about the different dimensionalities is because i don't disagree with that i think that is one way that you can interpret it to me one of the important the reason that i choose to interpret the different way so let me articulate what that is and then explain why so the way that i see it is we are all kind of manifestations of higher dimensional like consciousness, right? I think I agree that we all come from the one, right? And that, that we all have these kind of, we are kind of like our physical body is an antenna that tunes into specific div- divine wavelengths and then pulls our consciousness into our body, right? And when I think of what you're talking about, when you have like this collective belief in a thing, to me, that's more of like a Warhammer 40K like aggregore in higher dimensional space manifesting like above the material, but then also being able to influence the material kind of thing. Not so much um, us changing the material world. Right. But, but the, the belief manifesting in this kind of like, like the strengthening of this kind of higher dimensional aspect, right. This aggregore in higher dimensional space, which then, by virtue of its manifestation can then exert its influence, right? Like if, if you express, like it, as we, if you listen to some of the, some of the, uh, the lore in War, Warhammer 40k about the warp, right? There's this idea that if you have enough people get angry, right? You, you color the, the immaterium begins to like coalesce, that anger begins to coalesce into a thing that then reaches further out and tries to, 
you know, cultivate more anger in the material bodies that live in the material world so that it can grow stronger. Right. And then as it grows stronger, it, you know, then we can, can become more of like an entity with its own wants and desires and stuff, but it still feeds off the anger. And, and the reason that I choose to look at it that way is because I don't think of us as changing the material world with our thoughts. I think of like these higher dimensional beings to some degree for a lot of people are stronger. Right. And they kind of can like get out of control. Right. When you think of like an ideology that gets pushed out in the mainstream and the people adopt it. Right. And they become kind of slaves to it. Right. It, to me, they're no longer a conscious being like exerting our will and changing the material world. Right. They are very much in the sway of that aggregor, of that ideology or of that idea. And so I'm curious to hear how idealism kind of talks about that. Cause it seems like right now the way you're explaining, it's like these conscious minds are kind of uh, imposing their will on the material world, but there isn't like a way for these kind of, you know, aspects of divinity, aggregors, whatever you want to call them of like imposing the will back. Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting space to explore and it, it, I mean, honestly, we could go down this rabbit hole for a few more hours. Um, <laughs> I mean, realistically way longer than that. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I would just point out that I agree. Like a lot of times that these things manifest as like egregores, but to, to say that they're not, uh, you know, changing the material world, I think, is very much not true. We as, you know, individual human conscious beings don't have control over the form that those egregores take, necessarily. Um, although, you know, there's UFO sightings, and maybe maybe there is something more to that, um, that neither you or I have experienced, I presume. Um, but, you know, putting that aside, even if we just say, you know, we're manifesting these egregores in this higher dimensional consciousness space, that's more powerful than manifesting something in the physical space. And it trickles down into the physical space. We have all these people basically brainwashed into running their material lives based on this egregore narrative. So uh, I, I think framing it as if you're literally imagining reality into existence um, like it's so much more powerful and more intuitive than the materialist framing, uh, would have you believe. And I think if you kind of take it one step further and like go back to the first principle where there's this God mind, we're a piece of that. I think it's intuitive to say that like we, as a piece of that God mind actually sort of have a vote. And that's sort of our free will is like, us as pieces of that mind casting a vote into you know the the god mind or whatever the collective uh mind towards what rules we're going to change because even though there are rules that seem more or less permanent you know that's also just like on our time scales as individual humans like living out this story it could be that they're really not that permanent on a greater time scale or you know like, just look at how the materialist science has developed. Um, every few decades, centuries, whatever it is, there's a new discovery that just, like, shakes the foundations of what people thought was objective truth, like, what people thought the laws of nature were. So there doesn't really seem to be a hard limit on what can, 
I mean, from this perspective, you would say what can change, but from the materialist perspective, you would say like what you can discover that was actually already there, but no one ever noticed. Um, there's kind of no way to know which one of those framings is more accurate, but I think it's really powerful to consider the alternative framing. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying here, right? Um, and, I, and I do agree, like, to some extent that, um, that thinking about it as, like, we have the ability to affect the material world is, is true. I, I think one of, one of the common mistakes that I think a lot of ideologies make or a lot of people make when they're thinking about reality is they often think they, they don't do a good job of differentiating between what Nietzsche called like the great men and the herd, right? And, and I think like this, this is like a mistake in, in libertarianism. This is a mistake in like a, a lot of other things, right? Like it's the, the opposite mistake is made of like herd animals mistaking everyone for herd animals and, and things like communism, right? But the, but the idea is that there's a very big difference between those who can create and exert their will on reality and those who are kind of at the mercy of these these aggregores, right? These 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 ideas, right? Um, and so I think that if if you are someone who has that ability to create in the world and to to you know uh, apply your will against the material, you are going to think of the world as something that you can affect or as something that everyone affects. But I think that that isn't true, right? I, I think that there are many people who are just simply you know, have completely shut off their connection to their divine spark, and they're just kind of a vessel for whatever, you know, Agrigor would possess them, right? Like, these are just the, the, the sheeple, right? And this is not to say that the sheeple are inherently good or bad, right? Because if you, if you kind of take on your role as a, uh, a shepherd, right, you can leave people, lead people in a, in a good direction. Uh, and I think that that should be something that we see as our responsibility is, those who are willing to have these kind of higher level discussions and talk about these ideas and try to manifest good ideas, good ideologies is how can we create these in a way that's going to be beneficial um, for more people. But I think that the concern or the, the, the criticism that I would have about the way that you're expressing this uh, idea of, you know, we're kind of this thoughtscape of consciousness is creating the material is that, I very much think that there is that kind of secondary force. There are those aggregores and many people are kind of consumed and controlled by the aggregores. And if, if you don't have a system that accounts for that, right. If you don't have a system that like really takes that, that like identifies that and talks about how kind of important it is in the ecosystem, then, then I think your, your system's kind of missing an important point. And so it's possible. I just don't understand that you're kind of articulating that, or there is another way to articulate it. You just haven't gotten around to it, but, but I do want to kind of put that forward. Um, and then also if we want to get Western in to, to comment after, after you respond, I am, then we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, let's go ahead and pass the mic. I, um, I definitely like hear what you're saying and I think we're more, talking past each other than disagreeing. Um, but anyway, yeah, let's get some more people in here. Good afternoon slash evening, depending on where you are in the universe. <laughs> um, so there are a couple of things like listening to you both. I mean, these are conversations I've had with myself about 
idealism, materialism, uh, consciousness, etc. And I want to put a couple of thoughts out there and see what you guys think. Um, in regards to like naturalism or consciousness, um, naturalism, the idea of, you know, like there's, there's nature, there is a, a order, um, there is a process and set of rules at play that kind of govern the overall cosmos um, slash universe. Um, I think that those rules are not just about like agreed upon, but I think that in order to have rules, you have to have existence first. I think consciousness is predicated based upon what exists and what doesn't exist. So it's like Heidegger saying, you know, why is there something rather than nothing? Um, this, uh, this whole idea of, you know, you have existence and we can question whether or not, how do we know, you know, the, you know, the epistemological roots about how do we know if we exist versus not existing? And that's a different kind of conversation, but that again, kind of leads us way into us understanding our consciousness or consciousness at large. Um, so I just kind of want to put out there that I think in order, like, I do think that there is kind of a dualism, you know, you have existence and non-existence. I don't think that, you know, and I think that one informs the other and the other informs, I mean, it's kind of like a relationship, a duality there. So for example, like, at, I think everything is consciousness. Um, so like even matter, even though it's not living, does that mean that it doesn't have consciousness? Is it not aware? If you were to hold like a, a rock, um, and you were to drop it, earth's gravity would pull on that rock down towards, towards the earth. The earth is aware of the rock through as, as much matter as it has. I mean, does it, if there's self-awareness, that's like a different question, but I think that there has to be an overall awareness of something in order for there to be you know, action upon it or action to be received. Um, I just kind of want to throw that out there. I'm not being really articulate, but there's been a lot of kind of ground covered. And I just want to see what you guys think of this idea or this kind of conversation or reframing it in this way. So, so are you saying that like, uh, that we that we must have a material sense or, or are you, you saying that like, let, there... me, let me find a better end here. Um, well, I could take this one. Let me find a better end here. So, yeah, go. In, kind of the foundation of materialism is that objects produce consciousness. So, and when that means it's like when you have something in front of you, you become aware of yourself because of that thing. I think that consciousness is is not just like you know, and then idealism. It's kind of core tenet is that we come up with the ideas in which that we think reality operates or works is the way in which it does until we're proven or disproven wrong or, you know, proven or disproven. Um, so it's like, I think it's not an either or. I'm not necessarily a strict materialist or a strict idealist. I think that I have ideas of the world. Uh, but there has to be a world to exist for me to have ideas about it. Um, and I kind of, maybe that's a better in, you know, it's like in order for so, there to be any basic there, awareness, you have to have some exist, you have to have existence and non-existence present. Um, there you go. 
there's like a lot of ways to to approach this topic and i mean it's a great question it does like get to the heart of idealism um well and also the contrast between idealism and, and materialism for sure um so i mean like the the paper that uh i got published by the essential foundation talks about um wolfram's work and sort of like dives into this kind of like this fundamental physics um being reinterpreted as a form of like computation um are you familiar with wolfram's work at all not terribly no okay well maybe maybe i won't um take that approach then um What's his what's his premise? What's his like main main thesis? Well, basic well, <laughs> basically, um, he's sort of like playing around with these simple programs and then showing that they can generate these really complex patterns, and then those patterns start to look like what we modern like currently think of as fundamental physics. And so there's this idea like, well, you know, does is physics an emergent property of just this simple program running? Um, I think kind of the interesting thing there is, well, where it gets interesting is he discovered this property of universality that these, these patterns have where they can be simulated by any other one. And so there's sort of this loophole where even though there's like this predictable program, um, running, generating all this complexity, even if we found what that program was, we can never know we're at the bottom. There can always be another layer and another layer. So you could interpret that as being sort of the free will aspect is like almost like God is like adding new layers to the bottom of this stack to change the rules and, and to affect how we see things. And so then to kind of fully loop this with idealism um, and this specifically gets down into the weeds with Wolfram's concept of the Ruliad as being the collection of all possible computations run on all possible initial conditions. And like he, one of the core reasons he's interested in this thing is because he makes this claim that like, as soon as you have computation, you have this like as a mathematical object sort of. Now the question is like, well, a mathematical object, basically a concept. Well, concepts have to exist within a mind, right? So it's, he's almost pointing like to me and that's my interpretation. That's what my paper is about is like arguing that he's pointing to idealism. He's saying basically there, there's this God mind. As soon as it invents computation, you have this like nascent version of this Ruliad by default. And then physics emerges from that. And so with all that framing, and obviously there's a lot more to that. You can kind of think as God as being this programmer where there are these patterns sort of set in stone at least tentatively or at least from the perspective of individual humans um that make all the predictability that we see around us in this physical world and these laws of consciousness as we see them uh well i wouldn't go so far as to say that um but like all of that's kind of embedded with a consciousness that had then invented computation and computation itself is a subset of what's possible in this greater consciousness. And so even like with all of that, um, even with all the predictability and the, you know, of physics of the material realm, you can still embed that all 
ultimately in a in a sort of a god consciousness and i personally think there's a lot of intuitive power in doing so so the the like disagreement that I, I have with this idea that the material world or the fundamental laws of the material world can be changed just kind of the belief of, of the people in it is that you know this goes back to how I think God would run reality right if, if you know if, if you kind of thought about it logically and I, and I one of the things that I think about any game is it's very unfair if you change the rules of the game, during the game, right? You have to have that consistency. And you can certainly adapt to the environment, right? You can change aspects of it. You can like introduce new players and stuff like that. But you can't just be like, oh, by the way, like we're gonna we're gonna change the the, the laws of physics, you know, randomly. Because um, then, like, you're creating a situation where like players can are no longer able to be punished based based on you know, the decisions that they made, right? Like now you can punish people because they made a good decision, right? It's like, I'm going to obey gravity. I'm going to act as if gravity is going to continue to exist. And then gravity stops existing. Well, that's, that's kind of like kind of an unfair situation, right? Because like assuming that gravity will continue to exist is like a pretty reasonable assumption, right? So there's, um, there's a deeper point here. And I have a couple of notes to say on that topic. Um, go ahead. Yeah, let me just let me just uh, respond to that real quick. So there's there's a deeper point that I'm getting at here. It's not so much to say that I I believe that like we as humans can like arbitrarily change the rules of physics. I don't think that it's very useful to think of it in that way. I think what I'm more getting at is like if you imagine for yourself that like you are God, like say in your dream space, like when you go to bed tonight, if you're having a lucid dream, you could be God. And, and if you've had that, you may have noticed it's like pretty cool and interesting, but at the same time, it's like, well, I know this isn't real, so you don't really care, right? So there, there's this sort of sense that like omnipotence is boring. And so then it actually becomes really intuitive to understand why God would want to kind of lock some of these rules in and then dissociate and experience reality as all these individual perspectives, like God is living through us as us. And um, in doing so, living out all these stories that are very meaningful in that context. And I mean, we can never say we as humans have no access to the bigger questions of like, are there harder limits on what the God mind can do? It doesn't matter because we're not that God mind. We are just a small piece of it living in this reality um, that we are beholden to. But if, you know, if your original assumption is that like reality exists in the mind of God, there are, I mean, the, intuitively, there are no inherent limit limitations to the realities that like the God mind could imagine into its existence, right? But then there's this also this other aspect of it, which is kind of, I think Wolfram gets at it with this idea of computational equivalence, where it's like, this reality, these rules that we are beholden to are divinely interesting. Like they're happening in this God mind and any other reality we might exist in would be more or less equivalent. It could have different rules and like maybe in a different life you live in a different, but it's like, it doesn't really matter because you can still like do all the same sorts of things like 
in this conscious reality. It has all the same types of things, even if the specific forms, um, you know, seem locked in and that seems limiting. I sort of, it it sort of like just creates an intuition that it's, it's not actually that limiting. Like it, it is ideal. And I think this is why, this is why the the name idealism is appropriate is because it's like the things you're beholden to are ideal in a sense. Your suffering is ideal in a sense. Um, and so that's where like, finally I came to being like, okay, I guess that term makes sense. Oh yeah. yeah. I was, I was going to ask at some point, like why idealism? I, I, I think that makes sense in, in that. I, I too think that there is like a purposeness, a purposefulness to the, to the structure of reality. Right. If you, if you think about it as, you know, as I was kind of explaining about meta religion, which is, you know, we're, we're here to learn about ourselves and reality and in a, in a way that um, also bears forth our soul and, you know, where we have free will to make decisions. Right. Um, you know, to, to me, that makes a lot of sense as why, why, why go through life. Um, but to kind of, um, oh man, I was going to kind of address what you were talking about earlier Oh yeah. So there's these, there's an interesting sci-fi artist. I forget his, or uh, author, I forget his name, but he talks a lot about uh, a lot of his books or this idea that if you change like, like, uh, you know, the speed of light by a certain amount, or if you changed, you know, like the, the weight of like an electron by a certain amount, how would that affect reality? And then like, what kind of rea- you know, and then what would like living in that reality look like? Um, and so it was, you know, it's some pretty interesting stuff, but, I like this idea that you have very similar patterns manifest. I, th- I think that, you know, it's hard to say, right. It's, it's hard to think about like how, like even a small fundamental change in the laws of reality might like manifest in very, very different patterns. Um, but you would assume that some patterns, you know, but like, that's the thing, right. Is it like, well, one of the, I, questions... I think... now go for one of the questions to ask here is like, why do you care? Right. So, so like from this consciousness first perspective, why would you even care about being able to change the rules? Right. And a lot of the time Mm. you can see it's basically this like utopianism or this like seed of pride. And like, for me, those things are the inherent properties of consciousness that are basically exist on a higher dimension than the specifics of this material realm. Right. So like the, the idea that like by being able to break the rules somehow, like things would be better is like, no, I, I, the kind of what I, why idealism is ideal is like you're embracing that things are ideal, even as like hard as they are, like as much suffering or whatever, as there is, it's like, you are ultimately realizing meaning through all of that suffering. And that's why it is ideal. Um, sure, and, no, it, I mean, it, I think there's a ton of evidence to back this up. Like, I don't know, like based, I, I would argue all the evidence of like all experience reality essentially supports that idea that there are these adaptive properties to consciousness. Um, you know, hedonic adaptation refers specifically to, you know, adapting to expectations of happiness or dopamine or or however you want to think about it. But there's more fun, there's bigger, broader, like adaptive properties of consciousness, like 
meaning realization, right? So like you have to go through this struggle, overcome an obstacle, do something that seems meaningful given like your story as a conscious being. Uh, and, and that story can't just be, oh, everything was just perfect all the time because like you don't care, right? It, it, like if you get to a point where everything's perfect all the time, you stop caring, you get bored. Um, and that kind of brings it back to like the, the boredom myth, like omnipotence is boring, right? So even if you were to able to like overcome all these rules that you seem to be beholden to, you get to this point where you're just bored and you start breaking shit and you start like making new arbitrary constraints on yourself just to like be interested again. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with this. I, you know, it's, it's, um, so I'll, I'll throw it over to Western to kind of, uh, to comment, but I think that the where I'd want to take the direction of the conversation next is to talk about how you see kind of naturalism playing into this, because this seems much more complementary to my philosophy on meta religion. Um, and, you know, so, but so if it makes sense, we can talk a little bit more in depth about that. Um, but I think it's, it sounds very similar. It's kind of a perennial philosophy vibe. But if, if you do see that there's like direct application and naturalism, we, we can talk a little bit about that as well. But for the meantime, we'll just go to Western. I don't want to challenge like the idea that omnipotence is boring. I think I don't see how it's boring because if you're omnipotent, then you're aware of every potential good and evil that could possibly exist in any form of reality. So, I mean, I, and, you, and I don't see how omnipotence is like you, you were talking earlier. I, um, about, I mean, what do I refer to you river or stupid? Like, I don't, yeah, that's fine. Either way. Okay. River. Um, talking about how God is, uh, basically dissociated so he can experience all types of experience like dissociated so he can experience all types of occurrence and within reality right isn't that a form of omnipotence right so if god is experiencing what i am and what you are and what meta is that then leads its way into omnipotence oh. right so god is omnipotent but then why would god want to dissociate and the intuitive answer and it's just intuition is that omnipotence is boring Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with uh, I am here, which is that it, there's a really good Alan Watts quote that goes something along the lines of like, if does you God need to be dream what I mean, is that something that God needs in order for God to exist? Is for God to be entertained? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean you know, if, that, if you is have that, is that like the purpose of creation is for God to yeah. himself. So he's not bored. That's the intuitive answer. And all we can have with questions like that is intuition. Well, I mean, what else are you going to do with time, right? If you, you have the capacity to experience anything and everything, right? Literally anything and everything. Well, in order for God to be infinite, you... God has to infinitely create or infinitely do something, right? So, I mean, creation is, an, is the purpose of God. Is I mean... Okay. It, I don't see. I mean, the whole well, so, that, so then the whole, so creation. God. So it's not entertainment, right? Because then then you're putting like it's not entertainment, right? Like what is 
what is what you're really in order saying for God is like to know God's self in order for God's self to be conscious, right? So God creates mm-hmm. all possible. Uh, God creates infinitely in order to know God's self as an infinite creator. But then sure. God wants to experience that reality, their creation through perspectives of sure. less than omnipotent, less than omniscient perspectives, because those are the stories that are interesting and meaningful. Just, oh, I'm omnipotent. It's like the story's done. You already did or can do or whatever infinitely. There's like, it's not giving us intuition. There's a lot of intuition in, in, in looking at things that way. But if it doesn't resonate for you, I mean, it's really just about intuition. So, uh, you well, know, just ignore it. Well, I mean, like, I'm, I'm putting it in this perspective. I mean, like, I'm, I'm panatheistic. So I think God is both within and without, crea- like, outside of cre- like, creation itself. Right. So you have the sure. Godhead and then you have God acting within whatever God, God creates. Um, and in order for God to know God's self, God has to participate in God's creation. Because time is infinite, infinity or in, eternal creation is without time. So how can God know God's self without time? Yeah, well, yeah, I think I we're kind of talking past each other a little. No, no, no. I think we're just a, we're we're kind of generally agreeing. Yeah, exactly. But it sounded like Wes was well. I mean, trying, like not of, agreeing, but then it seemed like we. Well, were, one so. of the one of the difficulties about having co- such abstract conversations is the metaphor and language that we use to describe experience, right? So some of the things that you guys say, I mean doesn't necessarily resonate because i don't think it adequately reflects or more approximately reflects reality but then that's that's not just like maybe my personal choice of words but also if there is objective truth then we have to find language and ways in which to more adequately express it right so that it can be more it can be more universally accessible and maybe that's where in like the kind of idealism and the the we craft and create reality based on the language in which we use to describe it. Yeah, I mean, I think we're always striving towards that, right? I, I don't think we ever get there. And that's sort of why I generally steer away from using the term objective. But we're getting at the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, but I, but I also think that like, even if there is an objective truth, it's not something that we can articulate, right, in perfect sense, right? So, for example, uh, I have a thread on this, and it's, you know, if you think of ideas like songs, right? And so you, you think of, like, a very complex symphony that has all these different, you know, instruments and notes and movement and intonation and, you know, over time, right? It's, it's, it's a very complex thing, right? And even if you can hold it in your mind, in very high fidelity, if I was trying to express that idea or that thought to you, right? Um, like I am, for, I have to force it through a very low fidelity medium of communication, right? Maybe I can hum the melody line or I could describe to you the emotions that I get from the music, or I could tell you what like key it's in or whatever, right? These are all very, very small aspects of what it is, right? In order for, for me to, convey perfectly the, the sound of the symphony right you'd have to have it played to you right but even then maybe your hearing isn't as good as somebody else's or maybe you hear notes in different ways or maybe you don't have as much fidelity of experience right and so 
there's always this this truth right the true vibrations or whatever that this music creates um but you're never going to experience it in its complete truth right and so to, to say that like oh we we need to constantly try to um better capture absolute truth i, I think it's more that we need to be aware of the fact that we can't capture absolute truth. And it's much more about how do we more effectively convey truth in, inside that context. And I don't think it always means to like explain things, quote unquote, like with better, right? Because you can, you can define better in so many different ways. You could say it's more high fidelity um, or, you know, you can talk about like more detail, but maybe better in, in this context, if we're trying to better communicate an idea to someone is understanding how that person thinks and, and putting it in a better context that they can understand. Right. And so there's a lot of nuances to communicating truth. And so, you know, if you're talking about like, let's explain this better, I, my question would to you would be like, well, what dimension do you want us to improve? If that makes sense. Or if you just got something to add. Yeah, just actually very quickly matter. I think, a good example of trying to explain what truth is and this sort of irony and contradiction about it is so it's like you're standing you're standing uh, in front of a wall and then you reduce your distance to that wall by half each time if you do that continuously you still will never reach the wall does that make sense yeah it's Zeno's paradox and we haven't it's gotten what? into paradoxes much yet, but well, that would be worth touching on. Yeah. Well, that was it. That's all I wanted to say. Well, I also want to say that. Yeah. So, I, I no, I think that's a great point is like it gets, you know, when, when you use this word objective, it, it sort of brings up connotations of like unshakable, you know, no, no one can argue with this sort of things. But like when you get to the biggest questions about consciousness, about reality, about objective truth, if you want to call it that, you see these paradoxes everywhere. And a paradox is not a contradiction. It's something where you can't fully, it seems like a contradiction on its face. It's something you can't fully describe. Um, and But there's like a deeper understanding that comes through looking at the paradox from the one angle, the opposing angle, and recognizing that both of them can sort of be at the same time while recognizing the necessity for them to be in opposition as well. I think paradox needs to be embraced generally. I mean, I, exactly. I, I, have, a, I have a habit of anthropomorphizing God just in my own mind because it makes it easier. Um, and I don't think it's wholly incorrect because if we are made in the image of God, then God is made in the image of us. Um, and that's the chicken and the egg kind of thing. And um, so paradox is meant to be embraced. And also I can just imagine God being there sort of laughing, just being like, yeah, <laughs> embrace it. How close are you going to get? We'll see. Like, Give your best and most valiant effort. So on this point, I would recommend uh, anyone curious and like digging a bit into the nature of paradoxes and some of some of the really interesting ones. I'd recommend Ian McGilchrist's work. Um, he is another one of the founders of the Accenture Foundation. And so basically the combination of Ian McGilchrist and Bernardo Castro um, working together, like starting that foundation is 
both of them are like their work is really core to my interpretation of things and I, I respect them a lot and that's why I wanted to to try to get something published there but anyway yes on the topic of paradoxes Ian McGillcrest he completely changed my understanding uh, of, of paradox and made it so much deeper isn't like the kind of basically the core premise of paradox is that two things can be sciencely be true but yet like i mean it's the suspension of a of a telos right is what you think you know is true could be verifiably true but also simultaneously something else can be true at the same time well it, yeah it's sort of like there there are kind of really only half truths right like even the most true things are really only painting half the picture. And if you recognize both halves, you're like that combination of those both halves is still not the full picture. Um, there, there's sort of this incompleteness of a given perspective. Um, and we can like look at sure. Gödel's incompleteness theorem or, or something. Um, and that's sort of like this, these paradoxes are, are kind of everywhere when you get into these deeper questions. I think that, I mean, in some, I mean, a lot of I mean, phenomenologists would say that you, you're, you, what you, everybody has experience, right? You exist right now, and that existence is true, right? And the way in which you do go and try to ex describe your experience or approximate your experience is, is like the work, right, of trying to relate one's experience to another in order to discuss existence as a whole, right? It's like well, the challenge yeah, of I language. I mean, language is, is a tool. It's metaphor. It's it points to something. It, it's a it's a moniker, right? It, it points to something. I think it's what it sounds to me. You're kind of getting at here, and and like what resonates with idealism in particular is that there's like so much we can understand about kind of the nature of reality itself by exploring the nature of our own consciousness. I think in a way that's really the core message of idealism is like, take that more seriously, like shed, shed the materialist assumptions and just like explore what's possible within your own consciousness and recognize a lot of those same patterns are ingrained into how reality works as a whole. And one way you can sort of say that's because, well, as humans, we kind of only care, well, care primarily about, you know, how other humans judge us and stuff. But like, that's like, that could be dismissive or that could be like, oh yeah, that's really insightful. And I think it's really insightful. I think my consciousness, though, is not just, I mean, it's informed by my interaction with my environment and reality and the reality in which I share with you, right? So I'm aware of myself because I'm aware of you. So, I mean, it, it and, and in order for me to exist and to continue to exist, you know, there's a degree and level of you know, cooperation or some kind of, some kind of, I mean, at least with humans, you know, that, that there's a necessity for relationship, right? So that, yeah, so that we can continue to exist. Otherwise, you know, we could, I, 
you could kill me, I could kill you, and we cease to be. Right? Humans, if you want to look into evolution and stuff, have evolved to be well, cooperative in order to address the kind of hostile environment in which we grew in. You know what I'm saying? And he, and conquered or you know mastered, so to speak, right? So yeah, I think I think again, idealism really sheds light on on some of these questions because um, you know in in a materialist framework, you sort of think there are things and they exist sort of on their own or whatever. But like when you see things like co- consciousness is fundamental, it becomes more much more intuitive to recognize that like things only exist in any meaningful way through their relationships to other things. You as a conscious human define what a thing is by how it relates to uh, other things. And, and, and I mean, like kind of the, its relations all the way down, like, there really is no thing without its relation. And there's the Indra's net idea, but I think there's even like kind of a, it's ge- pointing at something deeper um, if you look at it through the idealist lens. This is where I, I, Stupid. I tap into naturalism. Sorry, oh, yeah, I'm going to let you go. Or if you're just one last thought, sorry. It's that in order for me to continue to exist, I have to know those things in which that can take my life away. Right. So if I don't eat healthy, I have less energy. You know, there's a whole bunch of health issues that can arise because of that. Or if I don't engage, um, like if I mistake, like, uh, non, like what I think is a non-poisonous snake for a poison or a poisonous snake for a non-poisonous snake, you know, I can die. You know, I think that there is, uh, there are, there are rules because if you don't, engage in a relationship with reality, you can cease to exist or, you know, like from a societal perspective, if, you know, we could all blow each other up if we don't properly, you know, through nuclear arms or whatever, if we don't probably understand how to relate to each other, even from a national standpoint. Right. So I think that there are kind of like embedded, embedded rules, like embedded, like, this thing is either going to give me life and continue to exist, or this isn't going to give me life and, you know, cease my existence. So I think it's really interesting to like, look at this through the idealist lens again and, and like, imagine there's this reality that was generated within the mind of God. God imagined this reality into existence. And then there's this potential for, you know, us as humans to destroy everything with nuclear bombs or for us to create some paperclip maximizing AI that will just eliminate everything. I think the idealist perspective really, for me anyway, like brings an unshakable sense of optimism to this question, because if we assume that this is in a God mind, the only reason for anything like that to happen is because it's a natural step on like this greater sort of evolution. And so like that, I would just say like for anyone who, you know, is kind of in a doomer or nihilistic trap, the idealist framing, which by the way, requires the fewest assumptions and like all the materialism based science is pointing to it basically offers this unshakable sense of optimism. Stupid and Western, you both nailed a bunch of different things. 
Um, I really liked what you said about the relationship between things. So to think about the spirit is not to think about the things themselves, it's to think about the relationship between things. And you have to constantly think about the relationship between things. And the more you're capable of doing this, the more you see, the more relation relations that you understand. And you're not just thinking, you have to differentiate between the relationship between you and these things, and then the relationship between the things themselves. Because we have this internal world inside of us. You know, we have our, um, our sensations, okay? And this is what we prescribe value to. So there are the things themselves, and then there are how we relate to them, and then this is this value system, and this is a whole world that we create within ourselves, which is distinct from the things themselves. Okay, so so there's that initially, but then there's the relationship between the things themselves. And if you take time and space, for example, well, they don't actually exist in and of themselves. All they do, they, they are qualities of an object. You know, so like one object is a certain distance away from another object, and that distance requires this amount of time to go from that object to this object. And so even time and space inform each other about themselves. And that's like this, at least that can be think of, thought about this way, that's the sort of time-space continuum. Because time refers to space to describe the relationship between two objects. And space refers to time to describe the relationship to two objects. But those things don't exist in and of themselves. Um, but the relationship exists. So um, the other thing I was going to say, but based on what, what I Am Stupid said, <laughs> is, is scale as well. So like, I can't remember exactly what the point that, that Stupid made was, but it was basically like looking at things at scale. So what might appear as you know negative or positive at a small scale may completely change at a larger scale and okay that's it so 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 uh, stupid was saying about you know well if there's utter destruction then there's a reason for it you know and you'll only find out that reason posthumously when you look at it from from a retrospective scale you know in the time you can't understand it and this occurs in our in our lives all the time. You know, something bad happens to us, and we're like, "Why, God? Why did this happen?" And then uh, a little bit down the line, you figure it out. Um, and then the final thing that Weston was saying about, you know, you've got to you've got to look into the into the material world to inform you about what's going to keep you alive and that kind of thing, which is a very good point. Uh, like you eat healthy food to make your body better. But the, uh, all I would say to that is the, the body informs the soul and the soul informs the spirit. And so there's this sort of chain of command that occurs. And, um, you know, the soul can't expand without fully functioning organs in the body. Because the soul goes on, our souls goes on this journey and we, we accrue qualities and we accrue properties and um we enhance natural talents and this kind of thing. And that, and the, those things occur in the soul, but the body must inform that. And so that's sort of, the, you know, a reason beyond wanting to be fit to, you know, to attract mates or, or whatever it is. There's this extra element to it, which is that it allows us to, to expand the soul within us. And then if we expand our souls, we necessarily expand the spirit. And this is this kind of relationship you have the body coming from one side and the spirit coming from the other side and those two meet in the soul and then the soul 
coordinates between those things but the purpose of it is to is to expand the spirit it's like i don't know the only um example that i've come up with so far in my own mind is um it's like you have a balloon within a balloon and so the spirit is one balloon and then your soul is a balloon within that so you have to expand the the soul balloon in order to expand the spirit balloon and then this kind of goes back to God making this decision to to sort of uh, differentiate himself. Um, and then this opens the question. Well, I don't want to return to it if you guys aren't, aren't interested because I, I came in halfway. You might have already spoken about it, but it sort of returns to the question of, um, you know, it, like, yes, God, God might be omni, omnipotent and omniscient if he sort of created everything. But I think there's a certain release to what God did. Like, it, uh, I think whoever described it as, um, uh, he's, he's fairly impartial to, to the, the game that we play. Um, and we sort of play it for him in order for him to understand himself better. However, he already, he already knows the ending and the beginning. You know, as soon as it began, the ending was implied. Or maybe he doesn't. with that last bit. Okay. Um, in, in the sense that um, this is sort of like the, the block model or whatever model of physics where like you frame things in a way where everything that ever will happen has already happened. Um, I mean, I think it's worth like looking at things through that perspective or I guess for like an Old Testament reference, there's like the, you know, God already wrote this story in a book and I'm just like living it sort of thing. I think there are perspectives from which that does kind of offer a sense of meaning. Um, but like when we get to questions like this, like my, my main concern is like, what are the implications here? And, and I, I'm going to go with the interpretation that like um, basically insinuates that there is meaning. And so, like, to think of everything already having happened and, like, it doesn't matter what you do at that point, that leads to nihilism. So I would, like, I generally don't um, care to kind of go in that direction. Um, I think that's fair enough, but I would say, like, it could be a paradox. Well, yeah, sure, um, of course. So, 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 and what I mean by that is, so, yeah, God, God requires us to be able to, to understand himself. Um, and if we fail at that, then the whole experiment has to collapse in on itself and start again. And you start again, it's like erasing a save in your video game, you know, and then you have to go through all this trial and tribulation just to get to where you were before. It's the same on the individual level. You know, if you decide to quit and kill yourself and you return to the spirit, you aren't suddenly omniscient. You only take to the spirit what you accrued in the physical um and that's that that's like that's for me was the biggest realization that defeated any sort of nihilism that I would ever have no matter how hard it how, how hard it gets how hard it got um i realized that if i don't push further then i'm just you know like gonna go back with with what i've got and that's not enough yeah for for uh i, I mean I, I see what you're getting at there. Like the way I talk about how, you know, idealism specifically refutes or, or helps one to overcome nihilism, right? Like 
nihilism maybe is a necessary part of this cycle. It's a necessary thing to suffer, to realize this meaning of overcoming that. Um, but um, for, for me, just like this, I, if we seriously consider that, you know, reality is in this mind of God, then it just, it, it's just so intuitive. But um, going back to a point you made a while ago, or a topic we were talking about uh, a minute ago about the relations, I wanted to throw in that um, I think there's this really interesting kind of take that um, Bernardo Castro has on quantum mechanics, um, basically coming at it from that angle, um, where basically what, like his argument is that what quantum mechanics is telling us is that, um, the relationship of us as conscious observers to what we're observing is a factor in how that plays out. And like from the materialist perspective, that's super counterintuitive. Um, and it like, you know, there's this basically paradox or, or contradiction between, uh, you know, general relativity and quantum mechanics because of that. But if you reframe things from the idealist perspective um, and, you know, see real see physical reality as just this base level trivial consensus between forms of otherwise dissociated minds, uh, in this God mind, then it's not surprising at all that the relationship of that, that observer to that consensus layer between other observers would play a role in how that material realm actually plays out. And this gets back to like what I was kind of going back and forth with Meta about, like in terms of having like playing a more active role in uh, sort of manifesting even the physical realm, I think quantum mechanics does sort of point to that we are playing a role, even though, you know, for, by and large, we still kind of see consistency in terms of like general relativity and like basic physics and stuff. Um, it seems pretty predictable for the most part, but like ultimately there is like that quantum effect where we're playing a role in that. So anyway, I wanted to. Yeah. But don't you see the quantum field like the way that that works as being just another law about how we can affect the world and not necessarily like changing the inherent laws of reality, but just that there is a law that we can change some things about reality, right? But I we're not bending I, the laws of nature, so to speak. Yeah, I wouldn't say we're bending them, but I think what it reveals to us is how limited our understanding of our ability to affect the laws of nature is. So there's that loophole. Our limited understanding of quantum mechanics and of how ultimately how we can affect the reality sort of means there is no clear limit to what's possible. Um, these rules, you know, general relativity and such, they're just like kind of what seems to be the most accurate based on where we are right now. But we, we have no reason to assume that things can like change, like the, you know, the God programmer can't like change a line in the code. Um, and if that's not, I, think to you, I wouldn't, I would say don't waste time on it, but I, it's, it's fairly intuitive to me. I would, I would sort of summarize it. Like there are, there are two sets of laws There's natural law and natural law is rel is fixed. And let's say there's a relative amount of leeway in that. 
And then there's spiritual law and spiritual law isn't fixed. Spiritual law is like boxing or like being on a boat. You know, you're constantly moving. And in order to think about the spirit, you have to be, you have to accept that you're constantly going to have to move and you constantly have to kind of look at things from different perspectives um, because of this kind of particle wave like dichotomy or, or it could be one, could be the other. And it seems to me that, you know, quantum physics is, is affirming this essentially. And so with two laws that this is just like a shot in the, in the bucket, but like maybe the idea could be that, uh, we go through a spiritual evolution. And this, so, and so there isn't a static state for, for humanity. We are progressing through a spiritual evolution and, and it's like a spiral and it goes from order to chaos to order to chaos to order to chaos. For example, you have relativity. Relativity, when Einstein put it forward, it essentially threw Europe and then the rest of the world into chaos. What was once understood and was used to... Uh, reinforce order was suddenly thrown out the window and then we get moral relativity and we get you know the frankfurt school and, and marxism and communism and like these different ideas of of what's right um and people it's a very easy thing for people to think well maybe we should just go back you know let's return but you can never return because we're always we're always on this sort of uh we're on this progression but it's a spiral progression and each time we order something we then break through and are are approached by a new set of chaos if you yeah. will and then yeah. we have to order that i would say that quantum mechanics is not at all a set of rules in the same way that general relativity is right like general relativity is very much well tested and well understood relative to quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics is basically this loophole of unknowns that we've just started to make some vague models about. And really, it's just kind of breaking apart all the materialist assumptions. It's pointing towards idealism in the way I pointed to. And it's it's kind of, I mean, to think but that- I, we, I would just say it's the next, it's, it's the ne it is the next set of chaos after yes. general general relativity yes. that we have to confound with yes and so like if we get to a point where we've locked down the rules of quantum mechanics well there will be a new thing um that, like it, to to think that there wouldn't be is basically a logical positivism which was refuted by Gödel's incompleteness theorem there's incompleteness in in stuff like this um in consciousness in mathematical framings in um formal systems in general there's incompleteness where like Gödel literally proved that no formal system can ever be complete and so if we translate that to consciousness which again i think of computation all formal systems as only a subset of what consciousness can do that's basically like the left brain then there's the right brain that has that more creative like emotional experiential aspect to things that'll always have like this loophole of like what's the next chaos like to put it to use orpheus's words like the next form of chaos to contend with and like the idea of logical positivism it's basically a form of utopianism where you're saying like what won't it be great when we find the math equation that solves everything and then like i guess we're just done or something but no like we don't want to be done with like the there's meaning in the journey continuing forever um, and I think like it, it's very intuitive to 
just sort of assume that like a God consciousness will always create new challenges. And like, we adapt to our expectations about those challenges. Like none of us are in a utopia because we can eat as much as we want to eat tomorrow. Right. But like people a hundred, a thousand years ago probably would think of that as a utopia. Right. Um, but you adjust to, to whatever you expect. And then there's new challenges and they seem like, Oh, the world's going to end again. There's a new reason the world's going to end, even though things are so much better than they've ever been. Um, there's just sort of always that struggle and always that meaning to, to realize. And that's kind of, to me, that's, that's maybe the most fundamental property of consciousness is just that cycle of like struggle and meaning realization. I would say that it doesn't deny, I completely agree with you, by the way, I, I would say it doesn't deny Meta's idea of this Lindy thing, you know, that these things that we carry with us that are tools for us to order the next chaos. I think that's maybe the way to look at it, um, which is, you know, like Meta gives the example of the nuclear family. Yeah, the nuclear family is extremely Lindy and through all the chaos uh, events or chaos progressions that have occurred, uh, the nuclear family has always seemed to be a, uh, a an order anchor for these things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, that's my big contention with this idea that there's this kind of moving rule set is that if you have a moving rule set, that the strategies are going to change. And I'm fine with the strategies changing in a general sense, but I think that when the strategies change um, in kind of a fundamental sense, that can really kind of break things in a way that's just, just not, not healthy. Well, I so. think this gets back to like what, I mean, this conversation has become almost totally just exploring the space of idealism, but like looping it back to the desire to like develop this naturalism idea. I a hundred percent see what you're saying and, and, and where you're coming from, like in terms of actually developing something practical and accessible. Um, definitely. We, we want it. We got to be going that direction at some point. Yeah. You, you fight the war that's in front of you. You don't fight the, the war that's going to be five years down the line or whatever you, you, you use the tools that you have to fight the war that's in front of you. And one of the perennial tools is this idea of naturalism that Meta talks about. Um, and, you know, just because the rules change doesn't mean that there aren't tools and functions that still work in, in a different set of rules. There may be a lot of tools and functions that won't work. And I guess, like, the, this sort of, like, idea is to find those that do work and those that are lindy, those that stand the test of time. You know, I think like with this, when uh, Christians say we fight against principalities and, and darkness and stuff, well, I think this is kind of like we're fighting against this idea of chaos and order and the fact that there is always going to be um, some uh, entity or group that will try and harness each new layer of chaos after order. And so we have to, it's this eternal battle, we have to fight that. And then, but I also, you know, I, um, I can, well, I just think like, okay, yeah, we're fighting a battle, but God made the battle as well. And so, so it's like, we're playing a role in that sense, but I like it. It, it fills me with glee rather than kind of nihilism or, or can't be bothered or anything like that. 
Yeah, and I think that strikes to the core of like a lot of our modern problems is the, the basically utopianism, not recognizing the meaning in that like kind of divine battle, you might say, this balance between order and chaos. It's not balance and perfect harmony in a utopia. It's the you know the yin yang represents balance between order and chaos, a constant struggle, a constant development of of meaning, essentially. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that well, I you think know, it kind of comes to down to what is going to serve the continuation of existence slash reality, and what doesn't. I think that's kind of like the basis of morality, right? Um, in some sense, that that which is good is that which contributes to the longevity of self and others to continue to exist right that's a really that yeah i mean uh, fair enough but that that's just like a really materialist kind of perspective to look at this from um like if you if you assume that all this is happening in the mind of god you kind of can move past that by default and get into this space where god is exploring experience space and we're playing part of that role and like the suffering is meaningful and and all that and you don't Really well, the, need to have this utopian or nihilistic dread or any of that. I don't. I don't. Yeah, and what is exhibited in nature? I don't like what it. What in I don't nature, understand your. Nature, I don't got... understand the objection, because that would then say that God, if I'm not mistaken, that would say that. No, no, no. Just please, re- can you rephrase your objection? How is it materialistic? Because. If God, if God wants to have, you know, this dissociated many like experience of, you know, like have dissociated experience essentially, in order to know more about God's self, why would God allow or want such experience to be limited, if not life giving? Well, because I no. think it's it's cycles. Everything has to go through bottlenecks in nature everything must wither and die. And there has to be a pruning process that occurs all the time. And that's my ro- why morality, like simple morality, cannot really be judged because it doesn't, it's not in accordance with nature. There is no morality to nature. And so while we strive against maybe cruelty that is exampled in nature, we still have to play by those rules. And, you know, again, it's like scale. What might appear to be bad on a short scale ends up flourishing and creating something beautiful on a longer scale. And how we contend with that, like, look at morality, you know, because this is also the idea that the elites have. They think that, you know, they're, that we're, they're culling the earth so they can reduce the population to 500 million or whatever it is. Um, so then they can live in perpetual harmony with nature. So again, this is chaos because it has the potential to go extremely badly. However, to deny it completely will miss the point. Yeah, it's it's hubristic utopianism from a Christian perspective. It's it's satanic pride, and like that's that's what's worth you know just recognizing with that idea of like oh I need to protect myself. This preservation it can go too far, and it does, and it is right now. Yeah, it's, it's, you will own nothing and you will be happy. 
you know, yeah, okay, that's purely utilitarian because those people will survive, but they will be nothing more than flesh suits without a, and they won't expand their souls. If the and so there will be are no longer people, did they really survive? Well, they survived in the flesh, but not yeah, in the no, spirit. Yeah, I, that's I, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and if and if they haven't expanded their souls, you know, then then their worth is pretty much null to God, I would say. Yeah, exactly. And so, that's brutal. So I'm enjoying the conversation, letting you guys talk, but I am kind of personally running out of steam. It's been a long day for me. If you guys want to keep going, uh, I'm happy to just keep the space running. But uh, if you also wanted to like move to a, another space or just kind of wrap it up, I, I, whatever you guys are feeling, but wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. I think this is going to be ongoing uh, to some degree, and we'll definitely keep similar conversations going. Obviously, so uh, um, I'm I'm happy to call it. I I, I had a great time, everyone. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah me- so- Sorry, go ahead, Orpheus. No, I was just going to confer with everyone. Me too. I think it's a good time to call it. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, really enjoyed the conversation, everyone. I, I, I think to kind of like recap. <laughs> always always Sorry, something that? to think about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, really good conversation all around. And, and you know, I, I think it's, it's funny because – a lot of this stuff then kind of manifests into like, well, what decisions do we make and how should we think about this or that or this Are other thing, right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here, Western. I don't think you can, can someone let Western know that he probably can't hear me, but I can hear him. So Yeah, Meta, uh, Meta's speaking, but I think there's something going on between uh, the two mics or whatever. Yeah. But, That's uh, frustrating because I yeah, can't I hear mean, a word. I... <laughs> yeah, but... Uh... Yeah, no, I, I mean, all I'm saying is I think, you know, to uh, to IM's point is like, I think there's going to be a lot more um, conversation to be had here in the future. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, to having it as we go. And, you know, d- definitely just getting out the, the kind of thoughts on on naturalism and, and kind of what what we have to look forward to there. I think there's there's a lot more we can talk about that. So. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stay in touch and we'll, we'll keep these spaces going. As always, we got the Tuesday space with Orpheus and I, um, and Mudra. And then, you know, we do a lot of these ad hoc spaces as well. So if anyone's interested in kind of joining, we always try to open up the mic and have a broad conversation and we'd be excited to have more people there, but, uh, otherwise just kind of enjoy the rest of your rest of your Thursday. I hope everyone has a good afternoon and we'll, we'll catch you all later. Bye.